0: Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, onto the show.
1: Transformation, communication, putting your best self in the spotlight. When it comes to marketing, all the above sound so logical, but in the financial services space, all the above sound about as comfortable as a wool suit in Florida in August. But fortunately, our guest today is like a tailor who's here to make you as comfortable with marketing as he is in a wool suit in Florida in August. Welcome to Messiah of Marketing, the guru of good ideas, the author of the fantastic new book, Blend Out, the CEO of Snappy Kraken, and my good friend, Robert Sophia. Robert and I have known each other for almost a decade. He was the first call I made when I came up with a crazy idea called Practice Makeover when I was at Investment News. And any time we have sat down, we've come up with something even crazier. Robert, welcome! Thanks so much for joining us today here on Perfectly Integrated.
0: That is a great introduction, Matt. It's like you've done this before. <laughs> Once or twice, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Once or twice.
1: <laughs> well, no, it is really good to see you again. You know, I feel like one of my favorite things about being on the road, typically, was being able to run into you know good friends like you, and that's one of the things I've really missed being stuck here in the attic for uh, you know almost two
0: years now. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, you said about each time we get together, we come up with other great ideas. Did you know last time we actually met in person, it was at the Riskalyze conference in 2019 at the Fearless Summit. And you gave me an idea for a title of a podcast we wanted to do together at Investment News, but then you changed direction. But I so I tried to sell it to Investment News, but it didn't work out, but I ran with it anyway. So, you know, steal my strategy, my podcast now that I have. You gave it the name. You, you know that, right? <laughs> I, I know it was something we talked about. Here's the thing. I People have said to me sometimes,
1: like... Oh, you ever worried, like, you know, you'll put an idea out there and somebody else will run with it? I was like, good. I got a couple more ideas. I mean, I'm never worried. I'm sure you feel the same way. I'm never worried about throwing an idea out there in the universe. It was meant to be in your hands because it's such a great podcast.
0: Yeah, well, we were going to syndicate it together, but there you go. I mean, I just, I think I mentioned on Twitter that you came up with the idea, but I said, let me just, let me get it on audio. Give you the, (laughs) the, the props for the idea. So, Steal My Strategy, the podcast. The name was Matt Ackerman. The
1: title was my idea, but all the good bones inside of it is yours and the amazing people at Snappy Cracking. You know, buddy, I'm going to start with a really hard question because it's you. What is the worst idea you've ever had and how did you learn from it?
0: (laughs) Well, if if you say worst idea, that's different than worst marketing idea. So let me just clarify (laughs) because I've had a lot of bad ideas. You want to know my worst marketing idea, right? Yes. Let's start there. Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay, because those two things are very different, and the other might get too deeply personal. So, <laughs> so the, <laughs> the worst, worst marketing idea I ever had was um, when I had my last company. Every year, we do a year-end promo where we would give people something free if they would sign up, and it was it was really successful for several years because we initially gave them a free iPhone, then we gave them a free iPad. Then we gave them a free Apple Watch because Apple was doing all these cool rollouts and it was like the perfect incentive to join our program. Well, it was like the fourth year of doing this and there was literally nothing new to incentivize people. But it was, it was you know, the end of the year and the, there was this huge craze around those hoverboards. I think this was probably like 2014, 2015, something like that, those electric hoverboards. And it was like the, the gift that nobody could get and everybody wanted them for their kids and grandkids. And I was like, this is what we're going to do we're going to give them a free hoverboard if they sign up. Now, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea at the time, but it was, it was the news, the media, it was supposed to be popular. So I, I actually went directly to a manufacturer in China because you couldn't get them at any local stores. I bought like 300 of them and I had them all shipped, you know, and it was like this big ordeal anyway, just trying to get them. And then we're running this promo and it wasn't working like nobody was really incentivized by that I should have known what advisor wants a hoverboard I, they don't most of them don't even have kids or most of them kids are already out of the house but but I, I did this promo but the worst part is once we're about halfway into it not only could I not unload them but then they started catching on fire and people started getting injured and burn and and all this terrible press came out about them so I was tens of thousands of dollars into hoverboards from China that I couldn't give away, and then they started catching on fire, and so it was just a an absolute terrible marketing idea. And I still, uh, my business partners will just say to me sometimes when I have an idea, they'll just say, "Remember the hoverboards." <laughs> That's my cue that I don't my my idea might not be as good as I think it is. I've had some I've had some rough ones. I had one where
1: I changed a CEO of mine into like claymation and did a whole claymation thing in a, in a marketing video. I had one, and it was like her and like a claymation Turkey. I had another one where, when I was in investment news and it was like a Christmas card where it looked like one of the reporters in investment news was, was singing all I want for Christmas is you with, with like the woman who was a secretary there. like things you think are hilarious and don't land. That's usually when like marketing is like, and like, you're like, well, I tried. I try and I always like to sit in those meetings and like, I'm like, I always say, well, if my bad idea leads to your good idea, we win. But sometimes things get out there and they they end up just being crazy.
0: (laughs) But but you know what, Matt, what you just nailed is a really, really important marketing lesson. You have to be willing to try things and you have to be willing to go outside of your comfort zone. And you have to accept the fact that not everything is gonna land, that you're gonna have failures. That is part of the process. I think people get really caught up in wanting everything to be so successful and expecting it to be successful the first time and being so concerned about their image, they they forget that most of this stuff that doesn't land well, like I don't remember that campaign you guys did. Nobody remembers my hoverboard thing except my, mm-hmm. my close associates. So it's like, what are you really risking, right? Get out there, try it, do it because there will be great ideas and there will be great outcomes from that. You can't be too afraid of it. But your willingness to go out there and try new things is
1: one of the things that I love most about you guys. Love about Snappy Kraken. Where did that idea come from? Where did the idea for Snappy Kraken begin?
0: Yeah, well, the the idea for what we wanted to build was to solve a problem in the industry, and the problem is very different from the name of the company. You know, the problem we wanted to solve was advisors generally are not great marketers. Most of the marketing solutions out there are watered down. They don't actually work. They're not actually effective. And the ones that are, usually you have to pay a ton of money through a custom agency to do a lot of stuff. It's tens of thousands of dollars. There's just so many challenges for marketing to be really successful. And we wanted to fix that. We wanted to do something affordable, accessible, and effective. And that's the problem we set out to solve. Now, the name snappy crack and that's a whole nother story because the, the status of choosing a name like the process that we we had to go through it was ongoing and it had to meet a bunch of different criteria and, and we actually had like it had to sound good on the telephone it had to make people curious it had to be unique all of the domains and social handles had to be available Um, It had to have strong consonant sounds because that makes it more sticky. It had to be fun to say, and it had to actually relate to the business in some way. And so we just went through all these different names until we we finally landed on uh, Snappy Kraken, which is connected in some way to the technology because through one central hub – you have all of these sort of tentacles that go out and connect all these services and make them work together. That's how we got to Octopus and Kraken and and ultimately to Snappy. But Snappy, it's fast, it's easy, it's fun. So Snappy Kraken is a name that was engineered by marketers and branding professionals to be really unique, really bold and unforgettable.
1: And, and let me tell you, it is because you go to a conference, you go to an event, you see those bold colors, you guys stand out everywhere you go. And that's that that that's what marketing is all about—is standing out, and Snappy Kraken always stands out.
0: It is by design; it is not an accident. You know, at the at the um, actually, again, I mentioned Riskalize; they get some plugs here. But at the Fearless Summit that just passed, I, I didn't go to it, but um, they had professional comedians—the guys from Whose Line Is It Anyway—and they were making up stuff on the spot, and and they ended up making a whole song up about Snappy Kraken on stage because we were the only company they noticed. You know, that's the point. Like they noticed us, they remembered our company name and they used it in their song from stage. And I'm I'm getting advisors messaging me, how much did you pay for this advertising? Well, I didn't pay anything for it. It just, it goes to show you, like if if you're willing to do something really bold, really different, really polarizing, even understanding and accepting that some people will probably not like it. They will think it's stupid. That's actually okay because it's being bold and being different that gets you noticed and remembered.
1: You have such an incredible team around you too. And I, you know, sometimes, you know, the people in the background, I don't think get enough credit. You know, I worked for years with Steve Lamb and I don't think he got near enough credit having, he was a genius working with me every step of the way. But like your team, there's times I wake up in the middle of the night and go, if I could put a team together, I wish I had somebody like Angel or Francesca or Patrice, you know, these are glue people and they're so gifted and talented with what they do on a daily basis. Talk to me about that mindset as you put your team together at Snappy so that you had this incredible squad.
0: Yeah. And by the way, you are right. They do not get enough credit. And we are trying to change that. In fact, I, I told our PR firm when we hired them, I said, I do not want this to be about the man, Robert. It has to be about the brand, Snappy Kraken. And that's a good lesson for all companies. It's about the brand, not the man. And, you know, the... The brand is what's going to last. It's what's going to stick. It's what's going to endure. And at Snappy Kraken, our brand is our people. And the creative genius of Patrice when it comes to anything visual is just off the charts. I've never worked with anybody as good as her at what she does. And she has somebody working for her who's an illustrator, uh, Lindsay, who is also just remarkably talented and does so much of our design uh, and even the design we use for our, our members and their marketing from hand, uh, you know, hand illustrated on a tablet. She's an artist. So we don't just use generic stock stuff, you know, and that's another thing that really makes us different. And and then the people who do our copywriting and, and the people who do our video editing and the people who um, take really complicated financial concepts and figure out how to make them simple and in a way that will resonate with the target audiences of advisors, uh, Those those people are geniuses. And... Uh, Brad from a technology perspective, Alicia from an ops perspective, Patrice from a creative perspective, Angel from a marketing perspective, uh, our sales leader Mike from a sales perspective, Francesca from the content side. I mean, they the 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 point is everybody has a specialty. And that is how I assembled the team to really answer your question. It's about understanding what a business needs. and, every business is different you don't need the same people that I have in in your business necessarily but every business has a set of needs and you will be successful when you identify the individuals who are best suited to filling those needs and you put them in their role you empower them with your confidence and your backing and then you stay out of their way and you let them do what they do and you trust them to do it and you know When you disagree with them, unless you have data and strategy to really back up your reasons for disagreeing, and they ultimately buy in, you want to defer to them. And that's what I've done. You know, I've got these people. They don't always uh, agree with me. I don't always agree with them. They, They definitely push me outside of my comfort zone. But they are the best at what they do. They're better than me at what they do. And that is... The magic, really, when you have a team, it's it, and I, don't, I hate to use sports analogies, but it, it's just like any game. You know, not everybody is good in every position. And at Snappy Kraken, we found the right people. We left, we put them in their position. They they train for their role and they excel in it. And that's that. You build a culture of performance that way.
1: And you said culture, and that's that's the word that sticks out. I, I had the chance to kind of be a fly on the wall at one of your team meetings uh, a couple years ago, and. What was amazing, in addition to some of the great marketing material that like I like literally stole and like snuck away in my bag so I could steal someday myself. But the um in addition to all that was the way the team not only respected each other, but really was kind of um so engaged with one another. It was a much younger team than a lot in the financial services industry, but I was just blown away by the creativity in the room and the people you had there, but it, 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 it all starts with that culture of teamwork and, hey, we respect you. You were doing the work from home thing before any of, any of who was popular. You you believed in the people that were there and it, that was incredible. It was incredible to people in the room, but more incredible to me was the culture that you were building.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you had a good experience. I'm glad you you sensed that. We do work very hard on culture. It is also intentional. We. We have core drivers of our culture. Uh, We have the training, ongoing training around our culture. We have certain expectations of individuals and and respect. You mentioned it. It's a huge part of it. Um, We, that's one of the reasons our organization is actually, I I would say one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse I've seen in the financial industry um, in terms of age, diversity, racial diversity, women in leadership. And ultimately it's because we just, we respect people who do good work and none of the other stuff matters. Um, It just matters you, you, if you're the master of your craft and you treat people well and you're dedicated and you work hard and you get work done according to the organization's key performance indicators and objectives and key results, then you're respected. And, and that just uh, trickles down through the whole organization. And we're really, you know, we're really grateful for that.
1: It's amazing. The diversity does stand out. I think, you know, there's so many in the financial services space that are kind of, um, you know, uh, the dog chasing the car a little bit when it comes to diversity and like, oh, us two are, you know, doing it because it's almost, they feel almost required now, but yours, it was not like a requirement. It is because diversity helps all these other facets of this organization. It's diversity of thought too. It's just, it stood out like you were doing it before it was something that was a box that was a lot of other folks were checking. You talk to me about like the thinking around diversity and and how it's ultimately helped drive the firm. Yeah, well, first
0: of all, the population is diverse. And so if you can truly eliminate biases from your hiring process, you will end up with a company that is diverse. Because the population is diverse and because talent does not favor age, race, other lifestyle preferences. So if you are really hiring for talent without bias, if you're hiring for attitude without bias, then you'll end up with a diverse team. And that's what happened to us. I mean, it wasn't when we set up our first C-suite, seven employees, which are now, you know, our we got about 60 employees now, but there's still the seven in the C-suite. We didn't say, okay, let's make half the C-suite male and half the C-suite female, and let's make uh, three people on the C-suite African-American, and let's... Well, no, we didn't do that. We just said, who are the most talented individuals in, in that are available to do these jobs? And it started out very diverse. And then that's a big key, too. When you have people in leadership who represent the spectrum, you end up making people more comfortable to come in who also represent the spectrum. So you've probably seen it before. Some companies um, have, have put out these sort of like awareness campaigns and it's almost like a joke on diversity because you'll see like, they'll say, we're a diverse organization and the pyramid will show all the you know, white guys on top and then you'll see like a bunch of women and, and people of color down at the bottom of the pyramid and the basic roles. You know? that, unfortunately, that's sad. That's how some organizations look at diversity. Like they just see a percentage wise. But what you really have to do to have a truly diverse organization is you have to have leadership at all levels that are diverse. And, and like when we had our, our, our latest company retreat, uh, one of our new employees, she's sitting across the table from me, said, I just want to know how grateful I am to work at Snappy Kraken. She said, I, I love it here. It's amazing. You know, I had some criteria. She said, here was my criteria. And she listed all her criteria for where she was willing to work. One of her criteria was I want a female boss. That was her criteria. Well, if we didn't have any female bosses in the organization, we would have never attracted that talent. So again, you, you just set yourself up without the biases for the right talent. You make sure there's at every level of the organization that you can see that diversity reflected and you don't do it because of the desire to be diverse. You do it because y- you understand it's the right thing <laughs> as a human. And you do it because you also understand it's the right thing for business. And oh, by the way, the diversity of our people leads to diversity of thought. It leads to diverse perspectives, which leads to better decision-making, which leads to better content. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I, I, I know I'm talking a lot here, Matt, but you know, I've been doing content for advisors for 20 years. And if you are always creating content with representation from your group that is not diverse, your content won't be diverse either, and it won't appeal to a diverse audience, so you'll just perpetuate the same thing because your perspective is getting amplified and then picked up by other people with the same perspective. Okay, so when it comes to marketing, now because we have this really diverse team, guess what our marketing content is? It appeals to a diverse group of people, which means it's more effective to a larger audience, which makes our members more successful when they use it, which makes our business more successful, It's just one small example of how a diverse organization leads to better outcomes for business.
1: Just blow me away with so many things I want to to jump in on. I want to start with the criteria. We think sometimes that the only criteria someone looking for a new employment has is what is that salary figure? Is this better? Is A bigger than B where I'm at? Therefore, I'm going to make this decision. But we as hirers... Have different criteria. We have to get in that mindset that this next generation has different criteria than maybe we once did when it comes to what they want to be doing and how they're going to feel fulfilled in their new role. and it's just I just I think that that is amazing when you think about that those kind of criteria that that employees have these days when you're when you're looking at going to someplace new you want to make sure they check your boxes too. It's not just about is dollar figure a bigger than dollar figure B. It's
0: amazing. Well, and let's face it, there are people who only think that way. And there are organizations who only think that way. That's a culture where the dollar is first. Now, I do not want that culture. We prioritize people over profit. We set up our company to be profitable, and it is, and we're doing great but it's because of the people that we are where we are. And we have to prioritize their health, their mental health, their personal growth, uh, the impact we're having. And all of that is part of our culture. So the people that come to us and only care about the dollar figure, they don't fit in to our culture and that's good. The people who care about fulfillment, work-life balance, meaningful connection with their peers, being creative, growing professionally, Those are the people that come to our organization and find a home. And those are the people we want.
1: Well, you hit on a big word there for me, and that's impact. I mean, that was one of the big reasons, as you know, I, when I look at places or things or projects I want to do, it's all about what impact, you know, we can leave you at the end of the day. It's like, you know, that's, we want to know that we made an impact. We left a lasting impression. And I think about that as I think about, you know, the second book that you've written, which is uh blend out, um, you know, it's, uh, what was kind of your thinking? What was the impact you were hoping to? Leave? What was the intention as you wrote
0: this book? Yeah, it was my fourth book, actually. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> see, I only, I, I've
1: only read two. Now I feel bad. You no. have to send me the other two.
0: <laughs> That's okay. The first one was the first one. Don't bother. I was I was uh, in my mid twenties, and uh, well, I go back and I read it and I chuckle. But uh, um, the, the last three have been for advisors. But um, look, w- what was in my head was basically this: advisors have amazing value to deliver there are so many of them i've met over the years that care intensely about planning well for their clients helping them invest wisely and yet people aren't beating down their doors to go do business with them they have to fight for business and prospecting is one of the biggest things they struggle with so knowing this I recognize that one of the biggest opportunities for advisors it's not to reshape how they manage their practice. I mean, I know there's a ton of that stuff out there, but it's to reframe how they are known in their communities or among their audience. Because to to illustrate the power of that, if you think about what would happen, just pick a celebrity. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they have any history with finance at all. I don't care if they're respected for finance, they're just a celebrity. And if, if they show up in your town, and now it's, you know, I don't know, Brett Favre financial planning. You know, Brett Favre is gonna have people lined up around the block to work with him, not because of his qualifications, but because he's famous. Well, maybe not in Florida, but at least in in Green Bay, but you you get the point, like celebrity is powerful. Now, even less than celebrity, because most advisors are never going to be celebrities, is just the, the power of being known. But to be known, you have to be number one, noticed, and number two, remembered. Yet advisors are generally conservative, so they usually do conservative things. Their business is conservatively branded, the way they dress is conservative, they, everything is conservative. So for them to get noticed is hard and then for them to be remembered if they're not doing anything unique because there's a massive lack of differentiation in our space what's going to make them remembered so i saw this huge value being delivered not enough people beating down their doors to get it and recognizing that the big reason for that is because they're not getting noticed and they're not being remembered so i wrote a book to teach them how to blend out how to get noticed and be remembered and i use examples from business, from history, things they can relate to, campaigns that they may have seen to help them understand how to do this and apply it to their business so that they can accomplish that.
1: Notice and be remembered in an industry where they always kind of, you know, slowly slump back to the middle, you know, how many uh, logos have we both seen? That's a lighthouse. How many ad campaigns have we seen where it's an old couple walking on the beach and um, you know what? What do you think are some of those common mistakes advisors are making as they kind of just glide to that sea of sameness? Whether it be with logos, which I found as such a really interesting conversation in the book, or or campaigns, what are what are what's some of that kind of you know fall to the middle? <laughs> as you see that,
0: um, you know, there's a lot of examples I could give, and and you just gave a few good ones actually. Um, I think the most common mistake that actually touches everything I mean it touches their branding it touches all the marketing that they do is is literal thinking what I mean by that is literal thinking is okay I am providing this forward-looking view helping people see their financial future what are other things that have a forward-looking view that light up their future, a lighthouse. I give them direction like a compass. So that's literal thinking, right? It's just like connect, it's like from this to this. As a result, you end up doing nothing really impactful or really creative. So it's almost like they think they're being creative but they're not, they're actually being literal. And it's like, oh, I want to attract old people as clients it sounds terrible to old people. I, just, I want retirees as clients, but okay. So old people, uh, yeah. Here we go. Literal thinking. Old people have all the money. I want more old people as clients. So on all my marketing, use pictures of old people. That's literal thinking. So the the creative thinking is usually not comfortable for them. They 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 generally do not want to really embrace the things that will get the most results because they're afraid. But I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples we We did a campaign uh, about it was retirement uh, and uh, ending retiring in times of uncertainty. We actually just won a Davy Award. So like out like twenty two thousand entries for for the creativity of this campaign. But our members were really afraid to use it. It was about retiring in uncertain times. And we basically did like a horror theme. It was like, this, like, scary gaunt yellow zombie face, like, ah, you know, and, and then this, like, creepy kind of trees. And, like, it was like a whole, like, it was almost like a dark, I, I, I won't say horror. It was more like Hitchcock. It was like an Alfred Hitchcock sort of theme. And it was about retirement and uncertainty. Well, advisors were like, man, this is, this is really out there. I don't feel comfortable with it. Well, the ones who launched it, the performance of this campaign was off the charts high because it stopped the scroll. It really got people to notice it. It generated a ton of clicks, a ton of conversions because it was super creative. It wasn't really the, the, the norm and that's what made it work. We've done the same thing and that's just one small example. There's been lots of them. So it's when you let yourself get comfortable, and I, this is like the reverse side of the mistake. The mistake is literal thinking doing what makes sense logically. The other side is letting yourself get comfortable with something that doesn't feel in line with the norm to you. And if you can do that and trust the creative people who are going to get outside of that zone and let them really do something bold and different, that's when you're going to get better results.
1: I said to our advisors all the time, like you give me the nuggets and I'll write the Zazzle around it. I'll help you guys find ways to lift that up and make it noticeable because you said it, the biggest struggle we all face is how do we get people to stop the scroll and pay attention to to what we're saying because there's so many other you know distraction points. I was always fond of telling folks at Investment News and other places like we're not competing against other financial advisors, other publications. You're competing against every cat video on the internet. You've got to get people's attention, and 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 that's that that that's hard. It is hard to grab people's attention. So if it takes zombie masks or or anything that's <laughs> going to grab people in that moment, it's 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 well worth it. It's well worth it. Yep, that's yeah. right. You get the point. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I, I also, you know, you guys do lean on something that I'm very passionate about too, and that is video. Um, and, you know, I think we agree that it's really something that's often underutilized by financial advisors. Um, how are you guys changing that mindset? How are you getting them to pay attention to something like video that, frankly, in a lot of cases is, is, is frightening for a lot of advisors?
0: Well, first of all, we try to make it easy, make it fast but not canned. So there's a lot of companies out there that just produce videos for advisors. And they're, you don't have to do anything, you just use the video. right, you slap a logo it's, it's on. video for video's sake. Mm-hmm. But we try to make it fast and easy. But we also are very intentional about how to use video. So there are four different common use cases for video that we we try to explain to advisors, you know, you've got this sort of high end high quality production style video, that's what might go on your website. That's like a permanent piece of video. Maybe it's a bio video about you or your firm. It's like one piece of video. Then you've got these sort of like educational videos, which could be like whiteboard animations and animated videos, and they're designed to take a complicated concept and make it simple. Then you've got the like one-to-one personal video. Like you can use a tool like Loom or Vidyard or BombBomb to send a video to, to a person or a small group of people. Um, to send a message out. Uh, So those are all different types of video. Now, actually, we don't do any of those types of video. (laughs) We we have one specific focus. So we teach people like, yeah, there's all these videos. Sure, go pay a company to produce videos for your website. Sure, use those tools to communicate loose concepts to people quickly so they can see your face. And yeah, let those other things auto-post videos for people or put them on your website as a resource. But the video that we really focus on is the, the video designed to generate marketing outcomes. So I guess you could say it's outcome-based video. And, And here's what I mean by that. Every month, we provide them with a highly relevant topic that is in the political landscape, the media landscape, the economic landscape, something that is really relevant to a large audience. We give them the talking points of about a minute to a minute and a half. We allow them to quickly record that video. We give them some tips on how to do that and upload it to YouTube, Vimeo or Wistia or any other video hosting service. Now they have this asset, right? But see, this is where most advisors stop. They have the asset, they upload it somewhere, and then it ends. But because we want outcomes, we actually help them promote that video. And that's really where the key comes in. It, it only matters if people see it. So we, we help them with coordinated social posts about that video coordinated email blasts to clients and prospects about that video. And we put that video, not just leave it on the internet somewhere. We put it on a special page. That page has a headline. It has a few bullet points of what the video is about and below the video. It has a form to ask, have a question about this video, submit your question because number one, it's timely. Number two, it's personal. It's their face. Number three, It's promoted heavily. And number four, it has a specific call to action that generates business. It gives their clients a place to ask questions. It gives prospects a place to ask questions to start a conversation. So that form of video is the one where we are helping advisors implement and get results from video, which builds their confidence to do more additional things with video over time. And, and that
1: that really gets to my next question,
0: which is amplification,
1: um, getting results from from all these aspects. Because without results, quantifiable results, you know, marketing is something that I tried it; it didn't work, and we're going to move on to the next thing. You know, talk to me about amplification. You gave some great examples there already, using things like social and email blasts and et cetera. But but talking about that power of amplification, and is there? Um, avenues that you're using with advisors that you think work better than other avenues for amplification.
0: Yeah. I mean, amplification is everything. Um, there's no point in producing marketing that nobody will see. And the, the goal is always to get more eyeballs on it. So you have to do that in a number of ways. And sometimes we have advisors who already have a big audience and that's great. You know, they start using us and they've already got a lot of followers on social media. They already have a big email list and it's really easy for them to drive traffic to the content using our platform. But there are others who really have to start from scratch or they don't have enough. And if you only have a few hundred email addresses on file, um, you don't have any social media followers, you got to grow that. You've you've really got to increase the potential. Um, And it's not fast. I mean, six years at Snappy Crack and we're professional marketers, we've generated about 20,000 unique individual advisor opt-ins over that time period. that That's not a lot if you really think about six years of concerted effort by a marketing team. Um, and advisors sometimes have, you know, expectations of this not being a lot of work. Like they just wanna buy leads or they just want people to, to respond to their content when they have a small audience and it's a numbers game. So one of the biggest things that we're, we're doing right now is, is in fact it's the fastest growing unit of our business is we have a product, uh, it's, it's a list building product. And basically, we put offers out there that are designed to get email opt-ins. And the whole purpose is just grow their list, grow their list, grow their list. And um, they put a budget behind it, whatever they can afford, and we just help them grow that email list. Because all the data shows that the number one engagement uh, engagement and conversions channel, highest rates of engagement and conversion across the board, bar none, is email. And that's data from having launched tens of millions of social posts, emails, and looking at all those data points, um, email performs the best. So we really try to help them grow that email list and then work that email list. And that is the the fastest path to success with digital marketing, or frankly, any form of marketing.
1: And it, it's so interesting because I have conversations all the time where Advisors will see that power of email and then say, "Well, then I don't need social. We don't need that at all." And I think social is evolving. It's, but it's. I think it needs to be an arrow in the quiver too, right? I mean, social still has that critical importance for advisors as kind of they look down the road, right?
0: Yeah, social media is a. It's another channel. Um, well, it's it's several channels actually, but um, social media has a place. Uh, I think. Uh, it is vitally important. It is something we help advisors with. But here's my caveat: any service, whether it's Snappy Kraken or any other that helps supplement your social media, needs to be viewed as just that: is a supplement. Social media is, at its very root, social. That means you have to engage. That means people want to see your personality, and you can pay us to post for you, but unless you get on there and drop pictures of your kids and what you're doing on the weekends and, you know, your views on things, and it's going to be very difficult to get traction with social media. So the, the importance of it is unquestionable. Um, I use it. I've been using it for years. I get a tremendous amount of value from it. Advisors tend, most of them, unfortunately, to get on social media because they've been told it's important to connect some service that oversold them on the value of what their auto posting to social media would accomplish, and then wonder why they don't get real value from social media. Well, because it's not you. It's a profile and some robots. But people want you. That's what they want on social media. So that's that's the piece that's missing for a lot of advisors,
1: the stuff that gets the most resonance of things that I post. Is anytime you post a picture of a kid or what you're what you're working on, my son in his Halloween costume did way better than anything that I post about you know professional stuff, but it's all about engagement. Or, you know, I go out there and you know, I'll enter a conversation or I've I've gotten some of my best interviews, conversations over the years, ideas. Or social media. I, I find I love Twitter. I love the way you can get engaged on there with, with that. But like you said, it's it's different for every advisor. I've had advisors say to me, don't mention social again. If you do, I'm gonna walk away. So,
0: and you know what, Matt, you need you just said it. You need both. I mean, you mentioned you do your professional engagement, you do your personal. See, this is the part that I think they just don't get sometimes. And I, I don't mean to speak derogatory about any group. I mean anybody doesn't get people who don't get social media don't get this. It's that it's the combo of the personal and the professional. Because what happens is it humanizes you, it makes you someone likable, it makes people relate to you from your audience, and also happen to notice what you do. Because when the intersection crosses and they suddenly need what you do, or they get curious enough to say, hey, I want to know more, it's not because you only posted about that it's because they saw the other side. And if you only ever posted the personal side, they would never actually see that you're a professional or have a reason to believe in your expertise. You gotta get that balance right. And when you balance that, it leads to business opportunities and the growth of personal relationships. Oh yeah,
1: because then people will come up and have better conversations with you. You've skipped a lot of the stuff two that you know you wasted time with in the past in, in those conversations because they know already you have two kids and you live in New Jersey and, and you know now now they're digging in a little more and I, I i like it i have no problem with it i also understand people that want to keep the private life private i don't think it's for everyone but i also know that yes we started said before you want that older demographic that that has all the money but they do realize that that shifts, and there's going to be a new generation coming in, they're going to want to communicate differently too, right? I mean, that must be things you see is the demographic shift, you know, every how many
0: years does a generational shift occur? It's it's happening now. Yep, absolutely. And this is one of the ways that people from the next generation communicate and We've got to demonstrate that as businesses and as business leaders, that we will meet them where they are. That's
1: there's so many great takeaways from this conversation. I I, I've I've been floored as always by you know, and I'm going to steal a whole bunch of stuff. By the way, I'm stealing your strategies left and right. (laughs) I just I just sit here and I write down ideas as I listen to Robert. He's he's just a a fountain of information. Um, But the last question of my podcast is always a question from my ten year old son CJ. I told him about. You know, our long history together, a lot of the great projects we worked on. I showed him your book. He really loved the cover. Um, I don't know if he's dug into it yet, but it is on his nightstand. Um, Anyway, I I told him it was um, your second book. Really, it's your fourth book. I'll have to correct myself with him. And he's an avid reader, Robert. You would love him. And uh, what he asked me to ask you was what book or series of books did you read as a kid that made you think someday, hey, I want to be an author?
0: The, the truth is, though, if I said that, I would actually not be truthful because I never knew I wanted to be an author. Um, when I was a kid, I did love to read The Hardy Boys, um, which probably dates me, I think my mom and dad read The Hardy Boys, but they got passed down to me, so uh, I had sort of a wholesome childhood, you know, so I I didn't read anything that was real edgy, you know, but I loved The Hardy Boys, and I, um, I, I also loved dr seuss and other books but i won't say anything like that really made me want to be an author the desire to become an author came from recognizing that i had a very engaged audience with a very important skill set and that my skill set was complementary to theirs and that if i shared what i knew with them then it could help them be more successful in their business and that's what's driven me i've been I mean, I am licensed and I I did grow an advisory practice for many years, but marketing has always been my passion and sharing what I've learned about marketing with advisors has been what I've done professionally for, well, since like 2003 or 2004. Um, So it's just been, it's been a long time, I guess, almost 20 years. The book is just one way to share that, Uh, just like videos and podcasts and other things uh, to hopefully help a few of them along the way.
1: Well, I know you've helped a lot of advisors. Every conversation you helped me, my friend. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Perfectly Integrated. This has been an awesome conversation.
0: I've enjoyed it. It goes both ways, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, sir.
1: Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Robert Sophia is chairman and CEO of Snappy Kraken and is a separate entity and not affiliated with Integrated Partners and LPL Financial.